the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive. Jesus lived a sinless life on earth for 30 years. During that time, he preached no sermons, he worked no miracles, he healed no sick people. Now, during this 30-year period, there was no evidence that he had the power to change a person's life. Then when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, his ministry began in explosive power. He declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his miracles were the evidence that this was in fact the truth of God. Now likewise, the disciples of Jesus were baptized by John in the river for repentance They were converted. They left all to follow Jesus, and they lived new lives without sin. But though these disciples were Christians, they lacked the power to fulfill the great commission 
until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and rested in tongues of fire upon them. Today in America, many Christians rest in conversion and attempt to do the work of ministry in that alone. Though they received the Holy Spirit when they were born again and have power to live a clean and sinless life, they lack the power to win the lost. They witness and speak the word of God and it falls to the ground. They pray. They pastor. They evangelize. And maybe they can dig out one or two sinners from the mud every year. Jesus healed every person who came to him in faith. Yet healings are rare in the United States. Many today even deny the power of God. Or even worse, most who call themselves Christians continue to live in sin, but believe they are con that they are covered by God's grace. In spite of Jesus' plain command, go and sin no more, they continue sinning and believe they are saved. In fact, they're not saved. 1 John 3, 9 very simply says, Whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for God's seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now, as a result, the American church is powerless against the tide of evil that's destroying millions of souls and our culture. The great social reforms of the Second Great Awakening are overturned on every hand. Instead of every state banning the, lot, the lottery, it now exists in 46 states. Casinos are cropping up. Abortions run rampant. With deep grief, I've looked at the omnibus bill that's now passing the Congress. And they have funded Planned Parenthood $500 million. And I'm saying, what? I thought we elected President Trump and the Congress and the Senate, now in Republican hands, to end this travesty. We see the tragic result. Moral teaching is shunned. Bible teaching, prayer, it's all shunned. After a 90-year temperance movement, the church allowed prohibition to be overturned, resulting in untold deaths and injuries, rape and violence and destruction for thousands of families. Shame for sin, including homosexuality, is replaced with major corporations like Starbucks and formerly Christian universities like Harvard supporting and promoting the LGBT. Incredible. In the midst of all of this, what are the churches doing? Throwing together as many outreach programs as possible, but most of those who come to the church still walk in sin and have never started a new life in righteousness. Instead of being born again and living a sin-free life to serve God, 
Those who come to church continue to drink and smoke and masturbate and watch pornography, engage in illicit sex, cheat on their wives or husbands, steal from the workplace or grocery stores, curse, lie, sell drugs, gamble, and refuse to tithe. The list goes on and on. There's only one answer to this. And that is for the power of God to come in true revival. I mean the power to raise the dead, to heal the cancer, to restore sight to the blind, to cast out demons. We need the power of God to bring confession of sin and deep conviction. We need the manifest presence of God that makes sinners fall down on their faces, weeping and terrified at the holiness of God. Without this power, who will believe? Who will believe that we are called to walk without sin in Jesus? If the Christian witness is just my word against your word, whether that be Muslim, Jehovah Witness, or an atheist, how is anyone going to be converted? How is society ever going to be reformed and become moral once more? If you're hungry for true New Testament Christianity, at whatever cost that will mean to you personally, then this broadcast today is for you. We are calling for every one of you to leave all sin, to be born again, and to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowers you for service to Jesus. Are you tired of pleading with your lost family members only to have them blow you off and scorn you? Are you tired of the name of God being shamed by the godless lives of those who call themselves Christians? Do you need physical healing or salvation for your soul? Then get right with God and join us in crying out for this promised baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now we've been telling you wonderful stories of revival the Argentine Revival, an amazing story, the Kentucky Cane Ridge Revival, another amazing account of what God is willing to do if we will simply come humbly and ask and meet the conditions by turning away from all sin. Well, today we want to begin sharing with you the story of Maria Etter. Maria Etter went through very trying times in the early years of her life. We want to share some of those hard times, and then we want to share what God has done through this amazing woman in the late 1800s. It's not that long ago. There were cars on the highway by, what, 1912? when she was ministering in Chicago and other places? Listen carefully. We pray that this story will encourage your heart. I'm Ray Greenlee.
You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. With me in studio is my wife, Alexandra. Welcome, Alexandra. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. We are from the National Prayer Chapel. So we're going to begin today and share part of her early life story so that you'll understand she did not come quickly to this power of the Holy Spirit or to this walk with Jesus. But Jesus was everything to her. He's everything to us as well. Listen as we share the story. Yes, so I'll begin reading. The book is Signs and Wonders by Maria Woodworth Etter. She writes, My father was a fine-looking man, very intelligent and full of energy, but addicted to the accursed cup. He could control his appetite very well until he went to a town or city. Then when his friends would persuade him to take a drink, he was large-hearted and easily persuaded. When he took one drink, he was like a crazy man for more, and thought he was rich, and would give his last penny away. Then when he had no money to buy drink with, he would pawn his clothes and come home to his large family and broken-hearted wife without a penny to buy food, and all in rags. And we little children would run and hide. Our young lives were full of terror and hardships. This is the reason we were left in poverty, with a sickly, broken-hearted mother and eight helpless children, not one in the wide world, to come to our rescue. Yes, I am a drunkard's daughter, with all the other dark trials to go through. I have never given this to the public before, but feel led of God to let the world know how the Lord has called and lifted me out of the depths, that he might be all in all to prove that no flesh shall glory in his presence. The Lord must be doing the work, and it is not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit of the living God. My mother was left with eight children to provide for, and almost destitute. Then began the battle of life with us all. My mother was obliged to seek work in various ways. My oldest sisters and myself had to leave home and work during the week. We had not only ourselves to provide for, but also our brothers and sisters at home. It was very hard for my sensitive nature to go among strangers. I was discontented and homesick. I wanted to go to school where I could learn. I longed for an education, and I often cried myself to sleep over this matter. I would have my books in the kitchen, where I could read a verse and commit it to memory, then read another, and so on thus improving every opportunity while at work. I had no opportunity of going to church from my earliest recollection. My heart went out in strong desires to know of God when I was eight years old. Two of my sisters were converted in a Methodist meeting. I went once or twice. My heart was melted with the Savior's love, but they seemed to think children had no need of salvation, and I was kept back. At the age of 13, I attended a meeting of the Disciples Church. My family were all disciples at this time. When I heard the story of the cross, my heart was filled with love of Jesus. My heart, my eyes seemed to be fountains of tears. I was seated in the back of a large audience and was the first to make the start to seek the Lord. It seemed so far to the front seat that it looked like I could never make it. 
But I said, I can but perish if I go. I am resolved to try. For if I stay away, I know I shall forever die. The minister took great interest in me and said many good things to encourage me and prayed that my life might be a shining light. If he could have looked forward and could have seen my life's work for the master, he surely would have rejoiced to know how kindly he had talked to the poor little orphan girl. But I did not get converted then. They did not believe in a change of heart and nature. But praise the Lord, he did not leave me in the dark. The next day, as they took me down to the creek to baptize me, there was a great crowd. I heard someone say, Maybe she will be drowned. It scared me a little. I thought, Maybe I might. But I said, Lord, I will go through if I do. So I asked the Lord to save me fully, trusting myself in his hands. And while going into the water, a light came over me, and I was converted. The people saw the change and said I had fainted. Then began my new life of peace and joy in a Savior's love. Then I was contented and happy, singing and praising God all the day long. I never went to any place of amusement. I attended four meetings on Sunday and three or four during the week. I did not stay away from meeting once in a year unless I was sick. I was more anxious now than ever for an education, for I wanted to work for Jesus and be useful in the vineyard of Christ. Soon after I was converted, I heard the voice of Jesus calling me to go out in the highways and hedges and gather in the lost sheep. Like Mary, I pondered these things in my heart, for I had no one to hold counsel with. The disciples' church did not believe that women had any right to work for Jesus. Had I told them my impression, they would have made sport of me. I had never heard of women working in public except as missionaries, so I could see no opening. Except, as I thought, if I ever married, my choice would be an earnest Christian, and then we would enter upon the mission work. A few years after this, I married Mr. Woodworth. We settled in the country and thought by industry and honest hard work to gain a little of this world's good to sustain our physical bodies. But my health failed, and everything we undertook seemed to be a failure. I was away from all Christian influence and could not often attend the house of God. Often, when hearing the church bells ringing, which had been the, single for, the signal for me to go to the house of worship, and knowing that I could not go, I would cry myself to sleep. I had one trial after another, and temptations and discouragements beset me on every side. The angel of death came to our home, and after hovering around for a few days, he bore away our only little boy, a bright blue-eyed darling. As he was passing away, he looked up and smiled. He looked like an angel and seemed to say, Mama, do not weep for me. I'm going to a better world. It almost broke my heart to lay him away in the cold grave, but I could see the loving hand of God and hear him calling me to build up higher, to set my affections on heavenly things and not on the things of the earth. One year had hardly passed away, had hardly passed by when the angel of death came again to our home and took away our baby Freddy, and at the same time I lay for weeks between life and death. And all this I could see the hand of the loving Father calling me to leave all and follow him. About this time, our little daughter Georgie was converted. 
She was about seven years old. She was a great comfort to me. She loved to talk of the goodness of God and our Redeemer. Many happy times we enjoyed talking together of the beautiful home over the river, where her brothers had gone. I did not think she would leave me so soon to join their ranks and raise her voice with theirs in singing salvation to our God, who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb forever. She was taken sick with that dreadful disease and lingered about eight months. Her sufferings were great, yet she never murmured or complained, but only said it was for her good. She loved to read about Jesus and the beautiful mansions he was preparing, and about the robe and crown that were waiting for her. She would talk to all who came to see her of Jesus and his love, and tell them to meet her in heaven. She sent messages to her Sunday school teacher and scholars, and to her friends far and near, to meet her in heaven. For weeks before she died, her face was all lit up with the glory of God. The angels seemed to be hovering about her bed. She could hear them singing. Her body was with us, but her spirit seemed to be above the earth, communing with God. She was willing to go and be with Jesus, but it seemed hard for her to leave me. She would say, Oh, Mama, if you could go with me, I would be so happy. I hate to leave you. But, oh, say, you will meet me in heaven. I said, Georgie, I will try. But that would not do. She said, Oh, Mama, say you will. I cannot die unless you promise to meet me in heaven. I said, Georgie, by the grace of God, I will meet you in heaven. She said, Now I am ready. I know you will come, Mama. I shall always be looking for you. And when you die, I am coming for you. The Sunday before she died, she called me to her bedside and said, Mama, I am going to leave you this week, and she began to set her house in order. She talked of dying as we would talk of going to visit a dear friend. She gave away all of her earthly possessions. To me, she gave her New Testament. She said she would like to see all her friends once more. She selected her burial robe and place to be buried, and requested us to leave room for me to be buried by her side. She stayed with us until the last of the week and was frequently heard to say, I am coming, Lord, coming now to thee. Wash me, cleanse me in that blood which flowed on Calvary. She kept inviting everyone to come to Jesus and be saved. Her sufferings were intense toward the last. When she could not speak and we would ask her if she was happy and if Jesus was with her, she would smile and nod her head. She thought she was going. She put up her mouth to kiss each one and gasped goodbye between her struggles, saying, Meet me in heaven. But she rallied and lived two hours. In this way, she talked on until the last, and her face shone with the glory of heaven. Looking up, she said, O Mama, I see Jesus and the angels. I see my little brothers. They have come for me. And they bore her away in triumph to the heavenly land. It seemed to me that I could see them as they went sweeping through the gates into the new Jerusalem. It was like death to part with my darling, but Jesus was very precious to my soul. Heaven was nearer, Christ was dearer than ever before. I had one more treasure in glory. My health had been very poor all through her sickness. Three weeks before Georgie's death, little Gertie was born. She was the picture of Georgie and seemed to have her sweet disposition, and I thought as she grew older she would take her place. 
but the precious bud was not permitted to bloom in this world of sin. At the age of four months, the angels bore her away, where the flowers never fade nor die, there to join her sister and brothers, who were waiting to welcome her at the Golden Gates. I could say with King David that they cannot come back to me, but I will go to them. Praise the Lord for the Christian's hope. From the time of the sad occurrences which have just been narrated in the last chapter, my health was very poor. Many times I was brought near the brink of the grave. Everyone who saw me thought I would die. But the work the Lord was calling me to came up before me so plainly that I thought he would raise me up and open the way. And at these times, when I seemed to be hovering between life and death, he would give me such glorious visions. At one time I was praying for the salvation of sinners, and the Savior appeared on the cross by me and talked with me. I laid my hand on his mangled body and looked up in his smiling face. Another time I was meditating upon the love of God in giving his only son to die for sinners and of the beautiful home he was preparing for those who love him. When I seemed to float away and I was set down in the beautiful city, oh, the glorious sight that met my view can never be expressed by mortal tongue. Heaven is located. It is a real city. Its inhabitants are real and not imaginary. If mothers could see their children as I saw them, in all their shining glory, they would never weep for them, but would leave all and follow Jesus. They would let nothing keep them from meeting their children in heaven, where they are shining in dazzling beauty around God's throne, and are watching to give welcome to the beautiful city. I never think of my children as being in the grave. They love the Lord. They're not laid away in a grave, the casket, but now they are shining in the Savior's crown. Often now when I'm pleading with sinners to come to Jesus and telling them of the love of God, the beautiful home in heaven, of the mansions bright, of the robe and the crown and the great multitude who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The veil seems to be taken away, and I, I feel lost in the love and glory of Jesus. I feel as though the congregation was left behind, and I was floating upward in a cloud of glory. Oh, the wonderful love of God! The half has never been told. It never can be told. It will take all eternity to tell of the redeeming love in the wonderful plan of redemption to the dying world. Will you now give up all? Will you follow Jesus and meet me in that beautiful land where sorrow will never come? I do praise God for loving kindness to me and always raising up the best of Christian friends in my behalf. In all my sickness and trouble, the ministers and people came from the different churches in town and had prayer meetings in my bedroom. They prayed in the churches for my recovery. I was willing to die, 
and leave my little girl and boy, feeling that God would care for them. But the work of God was calling me to it's calling me to do. All these years God had been preparing me for I was not willing. I felt like a worm in his sight. It seemed impossible for me to undertake the work for the salvation of souls, but the time had come to promise or die. I promised God that if he would restore my health and prepare me and show me the work, I would try to do it. I began to get better immediately. We then moved to a friend's settlement, and they came and took me to church. They had a glorious meeting. God seemed to say to me, I brought you here to go to work. Now the struggle commenced. I was very timid and bound as with chains in a man-fearing spirit. When I arose to testify, I trembled like a leaf and began to make excuses. Oh God, send someone else. Then the Lord in a vision caused me to see the bottomless pit open in all of its horror and woe. There was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It was surrounded by a great multitude of people who seemed unconscious of their danger, and without a moment's warning they would tumble into that awful place. I was above the people on a narrow walk which wound up toward heaven, and I was exhorting and pleading with the people to come up on the walk and escape that awful place. Several started. There was a beautiful bright light above me, and I was encouraging them to follow that light, and they would go straight to heaven. The vision left quite an impression on my mind, and when the Spirit of God was striving with me to talk or pray in meetings, I would resist as long as I could. And then this awful vision would rise before me, and I would see souls sinking into eternal woe, and the voice of Jesus would whisper, I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Then I would be on my feet or knees in a moment. I would forget everything but the love of God and dying souls. God seemed to speak through me to the people, but I had so much opposition to contend with. My people were opposed. My husband and daughter fought against it. My whole nature shrank from going to stand as a laughingstock for the people. But the Lord was showing in many ways that I must go and perform the work he had for me to do. Several ministers whom I had never seen before told me at different times that God was calling me to the ministry and that I would have to go. I said, if I were a man, I would love to work for Jesus. They told me I had a work to do which no man could do. The Lord was calling me to the West to labor for lost souls. I said, O oh Lord, I cannot take Willie with me, nor can I leave him behind. Then the Lord saw fit to take him out of the way. So he laid his hand on my darling little boy, and in a few days took him home to heaven. He was the joy of my life. He was nearly seven years old. He was very bright for one of his age, in fact, far beyond his years. He was the pet of the whole neighborhood, and seemed to know when taken sick, that he would not get well. He talked of dying and going to see Georgie, who had been dead three years that month. He said that he would have to die sometime, and that he would rather go now if we could go with him. 
that he would never be sick anymore or have to take any more medicine. He bid us all goodbye and said he was going to be with Jesus. He died very happy. He had talked and fretted much about his little sister and said he could not live without her. By faith I could see her meeting him at the beautiful gates and welcoming him into the golden city of God. This sad bereavement nearly took my life. The dear Savior was never so near and real to me before. He was by my side and seemed to bear me up in his loving arms. I could say, The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When alone, I missed my darling so much that I wept as though my heart would break. Then I would always pray, and as I prayed I would forget everything earthly and soar away by faith to the golden city, and there see my darlings all together shining in glory and looking at me and saying, Mama, do not weep for us, but come this way. I would always end in praising and giving glory to God for taking them to such a happy place. Lizzie, our oldest child, aged 16, was all we had left of six sweet children. In all these trials, God was preparing me and opening the way for the great battle against the enemy of souls. And now the great desire of my heart was to work for Jesus. I longed to win a star for the Savior's crown. But when I thought of my weakness, I shrank from the work. Sometimes, when the Spirit of God was striving and calling so plainly, I would yield and say, Yes, Lord, I will go. The glory of God came upon me like a cloud, and I seemed to be carried away hundreds of miles and set down in a field of wheat, where the sheaves were falling all around me. I was filled with zeal and power, and felt as if I could stand before the whole world and plead with dying sinners. It seemed to, the, to me that I must leave all and go at once. Then Satan would come in like a flood and say, You would look nice preaching, being a laughing stock for the people to make fun of. You know you could not do it. Then I would think of my weakness and say, No, of course I cannot do it. Then I would be in darkness and despair. I wanted to run away from God, or I wished I could die. But when I began to look at the matter in this way, that God knew all about me and was able and willing to qualify me for the work, I asked him to qualify me. I want the reader to understand that at this time I had a good experience, a pure heart, was full of the love of God, but I was not qualified for God's work. I knew that I was but a worm. God would have to take a worm to thresh a mountain. Then I asked God to give me the power he gave the Galilean fishermen to anoint me for service. I came like a child asking for bread. I looked for it. God did not disappoint me. The power of the Holy Spirit came down as a cloud. It was brighter than the sun. I was covered and wrapped up in it. My body was light as the air. It seemed that heaven came down. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire and power, which has never left me. Oh, praise the Lord! There was liquid fire, and the angel angels were all around in the fire and glory. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ and by this power that I have stood before hundreds of thousands of men and women proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
The friends wanted me to travel a year with a minister and his wife and work in revivals, and they would pay all the expenses. But my husband was not willing for me to go or to engage in the work any place. I thought I would go through a course of study and prepare for the work, thinking the Lord would make my husband and people willing in some way to let me go out and work. But I could not get my mind fixed on my study. Everything seemed empty and vacant. I was restless and uneasy. The dear Savior stood by me one night in a vision and talked face to face with me and asked what I was doing on earth. I felt condemned and said, Lord, I'm going to work in your vineyard. The Lord said, when? I answered, when I get prepared for the work. Then the Lord said to me, don't you know that while you're getting ready, souls are perishing? Go now and I will be with you. I told him that I could not talk to the people. I did not know what to say and they would not listen to me. Jesus said, you can tell the people what the Lord has done for your soul. Tell of the glory of God and of the love of Jesus. Tell sinners to repent and prepare for death and judgment, and I will be with you. Still I made one excuse after another, and Jesus would answer, Go, and I will be with you. I told him I wanted to study the Bible, that I did not understand it well enough, then there appeared upon the wall a large open Bible, and the verses stood out in raised letters. The glory of God shone around and upon the book. I looked, and I could understand it all. Jesus said again, Go, and I will be with you. I cried, Lord, I will go. Where shall I go? And Jesus said, Go here, go there, wherever souls are perishing. Praise the Lord for his wonderful goodness in revealing his word and will in such a wonderful way to such a poor, weak woman of the dust. I saw more in that vision than I could have learned in years of hard study. Praise his holy name. I saw that I must not depend on anything that I could do, but to look to him for strength and wisdom not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Zechariah 4.6 I was to be the vessel of clay God was going to use to his own glory. I was to be God's mouthpiece. I must trust God to speak through me to the people the words of eternal life. There was all this time a, a secret monitor within me telling me I should be calling sinners to repentance. I could not get clear of that reflection by day or by night. Walking or dreaming, I seemed to have a large congregation before me, all in tears, as I told them the story of the cross. Thus for months and years did I debate, and yet I did falter and hesitate, and like Jonah trim my sails for Tarshish. I thought if I were a man, it would be a pleasure for me. But for me, a woman to preach? If I could, would, subject, would be subject to ridicule and contempt among my friends and kindred and bring rep 
reproach upon his glorious cause? Always when I had trouble, I would flee to the stronghold of faith and grace and prayer. But when I went in secret to pray, the word seemed to come to me, You deny me before men, and I will deny you before my Father and the holy angels. Then I would go to my Bible and search for teachings and examples who made sport of Miriam. Again, the Lord put his erring people in remembrance of his great blessing to Israel when he said, Did I not send thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam to be your leaders? And again, the prophets were ordained of God, and there was trouble on one hand. Barak dared not meet the enemy unless Deborah led the van. And the noble woman, always ready to work for God in his cause, said, I will surely go. God's people must not be prey to the enemy. Oh, no, call our men of Israel. As I continued to read my Bible, I saw that in all ages of the world, the Lord raised up his own choosing, men, women, children, Miriam, Deborah, Hannah, Huldah, Anna, Phoebe, the Marys. The Lord raised up the women he chose. The more I investigated, the more I found to condemn me. There was the master giving me one, two, and five talents and the moral obligation of each person receiving them and their several rewards. I had one talent which was hidden away. By the prophet Joel, we learn that our special feature of the gospel dispensation shall be your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men dream dreams, your young men shall see visions and also upon the servants and handmaidens in those days I will pour out my spirit, Joel 2:28 to 29 It seems by the prophet Joel that the last days were to be continually conspicuous for this kind of prophesying. We cannot reserve God's decree, for he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now to those who are sensitive upon this point, I propose the inquiry. First, is there not as much to sustain the position that women are called to preach as there is that men are called? If you admit that there is such a call to the ministry, then whence the authority for making the work exclusively for the male sex? What would have been the work of those women who labored with Paul? See Philippians 4.3. Second, how could they obey God and not prophesy? Acts 2.18. Philip had four daughters who did prophesy. Acts 21.9. Was that by divine authority? about 35 years after the setting up of the gospel kingdom dispensation? And is it less becoming for women to labor in Christ's kingdom or vineyard now than it was then? If you determine that there was no acceptable preaching except through a called ministry, who will arrogate to himself the power to determine the calling, seeing that none are invested with miraculous power? But should you deny that there is any divine authority by which the word is preached, 
why not offer the most encouragement to those who may labor most successfully? There will be a time when all good workers will meet a just reward, for it is said, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The first meeting that I undertook to hold was in a little town, where we had lived some years before, right among my husband's people. It was a cross for me to talk to those people, but I said in the name of God and by his sustaining grace, I will try and leave the result with him. As I rose to speak, this text came to mind, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Isaiah 38, one. When I began to talk upon the subject, the man-fearing spirit left me, and the words came to me faster than I could give them utterance. My sister-in-law broke down and left the house. We continued the meeting a few days, and twenty claimed to be converted. People were converted all through the neighborhood. One who came to this meeting afterward became my son-in-law. I continued to keep house and spent as much time in holding meetings as I could to give my husband a chance to attend his work. I was anxious to raise money for us to go west. I would ride seven miles and hold meeting on Saturday evening and three meetings on Sunday, sometimes in different churches, and then ride home over a hilly and rough road. By this time I would be nearly exhausted and hardly able to walk around to do my work, but the last of the week I would go again, and often through the week I held meetings in the towns around where I was born and raised, where we had lived since we were married. It was a cross for me to speak before my own folks and the people whom I had always known. But God wonderfully blessed my labors in every place. Wherever I went, the house was crowded. I did not write my sermons or have sketches of sermons. I would take a text and trust God to lead me in his own way. I was holding meeting for a few days where I was raised and the house was crowded every night. One night I could not get a text. The people came pouring in until the house was packed. I began to get frightened. A brother said to me, the disciples' church are turning out tonight. There I was, with several hundred people before me, and no text, nothing to talk about. Everything was empty. I began to plead with Jesus. I told him he had called me to preach, to preach that here was this starving multitude, and I had no bread to give them. To verify his promise and to glorify himself in manifesting his power to this people, the words came to me, What are you going to do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And also the place to find the text, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-two. Jesus seemed to whisper in my ear, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I opened the meeting and repeated the text. As I did so, the power came and it seemed that all I had to do was open my mouth. The people all through the house began to weep. I talked one hour and a quarter. The power came as it did when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It seemed as if the house was full of the glory of God. I felt as if I was drawn up over the people. Glory to God for helping a worm of the dust. We're sharing with you the beginnings of the ministry of Maria 
Eder, who ministered in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. This story is so painful. Five children died. And later her husband would die. But God carried her. He called her. I want to emphasize the children who died spoke in such magnificent terms of Jesus. They loved Jesus. Do your children love Jesus this way? Is this what you have presented them with? They are simply reflecting back to Maria Etter what she put in them. Her heart was utterly given to Jesus. I want you to hear these stories, and we're going to share more next week. I want you to hear these stories because this is what revival looks like. It doesn't look like cold institutionalism. It doesn't look like an event. One person who works as a staff member in a large church said that Easter week they have every night an event planned. What? You have an event planned? No, that's not revival. Revival is when you have a meeting and God comes and meets us. That's why it's called a meeting. It's a, it's a meeting between us and God. They're calling it event because God's not going to show up. They're going to simply hold their event. It will be entertaining. It will be lively. People will enjoy it. But the power of God won't be there and the sinners won't be saved. And the sick will not be healed. I don't want anything to do with religious events. I don't want anything to do with these foolish concerts where they charge a fee to get into the church. And then you have these actors who really are not Christian, for the most part, singing these worldly lullabies and sentimental ditties. Where is Jesus today? I want Jesus. Do you have any reaction, Alexandra, to what you've been reading? I really enjoy reading Maria Eder because a lot of our Christian history, we tend to emphasize uh, the work of men. But there have always been women who have been called by God and have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we continue reading next week, you'll see just the incredible way that God used this woman. She was a modern-day apostle. The, the tent revivals were incredible with thousands of people coming, and she would be in major cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, and thousands would come and be healed of every kind of sickness. Sinners would be saved. Christians would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This was the real deal. It was the real deal. And so it's encouraging to me. And I really like that we see her humility in the beginning part of this book and that she was in a low enough place of humility that God was able to give her this blessing of the Holy Spirit. Well, we're almost out of time for today's broadcast. We're coming to the end of the month. 
and for the last two weeks we've only had one person send an offering we've gone to the post office every day and as we've gone to the box we've prayed lord would you fill the box because the broadcast needs to be covered one person a family gave an amazing offering and that has encouraged our hearts greatly but we're standing by faith for the remaining monies to come in and we would love to hear from you so would you write to us national prayer chapel post office box 2346 woodbridge virginia 22195 that address again the national prayer chapel post office box 2346 woodbridge virginia 22195 you're also welcome to come and pray with us and worship with us on sunday we will meet at 12 noon and begin prayer at the all saints anglican church let me give you that address it's 14851 gideon drive woodbridge virginia 22192 you can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com and listen to past messages there you can also write to us or give online we're very eager to hear how this broadcast has changed your life please go to that webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Lord Jesus, we have shared your word. We have lifted you up. We honor you, Jesus. We love you with all of our hearts, and we pray for the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, come with healing power. We wait upon you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Before the presence of his glory with great joy with great Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.